is called following Jesus, because that's what Matthew wants us to do. Matthew wrote his gospel as a theological biography of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most compelling person who ever lived and ever will live. Matthew set out in his gospel to introduce us to Jesus and to hear Jesus' call to discipleship. That's what we're going to hear again today. In verse 22 of our text for today, in chapter 8, Jesus says, follow me. So that's what I want to make the title of today's message. Very simply, Jesus saying, follow me. Now that's not the first time he has said that in the Gospel of Matthew. Back in January, we memorized Matthew 4.19. You remember that? Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus calls us to follow him and to fish for other followers, to persuade others to follow him as well. So today I only have one point to make, just one. I'll say a bunch of other things, but I've only got one central point to get across, just one slide to put up there this morning, and here it is. Follow Jesus because there is nothing and no one more important. Follow Jesus because there is nothing more important and there is no one more important in all the world. So those are the stakes this morning. There's there's just nothing more important than what we're talking about this morning. Nothing more important than following Jesus. Let's see how this plays out in Matthew chapter 8. Have you found it? Let's pray and then dive in. Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in a time of storm. Lord, I pray for all the students here that as they encounter storms this year, that they would run to Jesus and find Him to be their rock. They wouldn't run to every other thing but Jesus, first and foremost. And I don't just pray that for the students, I pray that for all of us here that we would find Jesus to be our rock. I pray that we would see in this passage today how He is, and that would just shape us, change our hearts, redirect us, refocus us, give us new perspective, fresh eyes, renewed hearts, because we've looked at Your Word. Would You do that, Lord? We pray it in the name of the rock in a weary land. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Two weeks ago, we jumped to the end of Matthew chapter 9. The end of this bigger section of Matthew. And there, when Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them. But here in chapter 8, verse 18, when Jesus sees the crowd that day, he decides to get away. Look at verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him... He gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now, he's not running away, but he is getting away. He's taking kind of a a retreat. When we left off last week in verse 17, Jesus was giving them all a foretaste of the kingdom in Peter's house in Capernaum. He was casting out evil spirits. He was healing all the sick, including Peter's mother-in-law. He was exercising great power and authority. 
But Jesus didn't want the people, the crowd, to get addicted to his miracles. As if that's what he was all about. And he needed a little time away. So he told his disciples to get a boat together and set off across the Sea of Galilee. But before they can go, Jesus interacts with two potential new followers. Look at verse 19. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me. That sounds like something we ought to be saying to Jesus. It sounds like something we might sing on a Sunday morning in a hymn or a worship song. Somebody ought to put that one to music. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus doesn't seem to be very impressed with this statement. And maybe because the person saying it is a teacher of the law, a scribe. And we know from the Sermon on the Mount what Jesus thought about the scribes in general. And it might have been because this guy had his focus on what he was going to do for Jesus and not how worthy Jesus was to follow. He says, I will follow you wherever I go. Yes, I will. In fact, he might have been saying, Jesus, this is your lucky day. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm on board now. How good it is for you. I see you have all these fishermen and other lower class folks, but now you've got me. I'm a teacher of the law, and I'm now on your side. So what are we going to do today, Jesus? Where are we going today, Jesus? We're going to cross the, the lake? Listen to what Jesus says, verse 20. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What do you hear there in his reply? I hear him saying, Okay, are you really going to follow me? That's good. You should. Because there's nothing more important than following me, but you need to know up front it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be cushy or soft or comfortable. This is serious stuff. We don't stay at the Hampton Inn. Jesus is not discouraging the man from following him. He's disabusing him of his mistaken notions of what it will be like. Following Jesus is more important than our comfort. Now Jesus himself is comforting. He promises us rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's our next hide the word verse. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. But at the same time, he presents a hard road to walk. Following Jesus is a hard road to walk. It's a narrow road, he called it. Remember that? Just a few chapters ago? Last chapter, actually. What are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? What are you not willing to give up to follow Jesus? Have you ever thought about how we who are Christians follow a homeless man? My boss was a homeless man. My Savior was a homeless man. And he has not promised me an earthly home. He often provides them for us. But that's not the promise. 
The promise is an eternal home. And between now and that home, the promise is trouble. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in you, it, so that you may, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, we should follow Jesus, but it's going to be hard. And yet it's definitely worth it. Now we don't know if this guy kept on following Jesus or not. He might have been discouraged by all this talk about no place to lay your head. We do know that Jesus is looking for real followers. Not just the ones who say they're going to follow him and then bail whenever the going gets tough. What are you willing to give up to follow Jesus? I hope the answer is everything. Because he's worth it. But so, so often we hold on to things. We hold on to our comfort. We hold on to our money. We hold on to our family. That was the problem with this next guy. Verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Which sounds totally reasonable to me, right? Let me do this funeral thing first and then I'll be right there, Jesus. Look at verse 22. Here's how Jesus replies. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Man, those are strong words. Why did Jesus get so salty with this guy? There's two possibilities. One is that the man is asking for basically a year off of discipleship so that he can follow all the traditions of caring for your deceased parents. That included the funeral and the like 40 days of mourning. And then actually a year later they dig up the bones if they have enough money, they dig up the bones and put them in an ossuary. And then they're settling the estate. That's part of this too, burying your father. Got to settle the estate. Got to make sure the money's all there and in the right place. And then I'm all yours, Jesus. Okay, just, I just need to take care of this, and then I'm all yours. The other possibility, and I actually think this is even more likely, is that the man's father isn't even dead yet. He might not even be sick. This guy may be asking for an indefinite deferment on his discipleship. He's putting it off. He's putting Jesus off. In either of those scenarios, it's dad first and Jesus second, right? What's he say in verse 21? Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. You're important, sure, but, but this is my dad. Have you ever said something like that to Jesus? I know I have. You're important, sure, but this is my sleep. You're important, Jesus, sure, but this is my last one. My last dollar, my last bite, my last year, my last chance. Jesus, sure you're important, but first. That's why Jesus is so up in his face. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. 
Now, he's not saying that we should dishonor our father and mother. Jesus is big on honoring mom and dad. But that's not more important than following him. Following him comes first. That's the priority of the spiritually dead. Let them put second things first. We need to put first things first. And Jesus is our first thing. Does that make sense? Follow Jesus first and foremost because there's nothing and no one more important. I think that's interesting. That, that the, I think it's interesting that the very next thing they do is follow him. Look at verse 23. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Of course, they didn't know what they were in for on this little boat ride. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Now we know why he needed to get away. He was tired. There's a furious storm. The Greek word there is is the one that's often used for an earthquake. There was a, a lake quake going on. Okay? There's an earthquake of a storm attacking their boat, and Jesus is sawing logs. I love how this shows Jesus' humanity. Jesus was so tired. He needed sleep. He probably was up all night healing people and kicking out demons. Now he needs to rest. He's so tired he could sleep through a violent storm with the waves. The waves are coming in over the side of the boat. He's getting wet. And he's sleeping. That's how tired he is. Verse 25. The disciples went and woke him. They're shaking him. Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. Can you imagine? How about this rebuke from Jesus? You of little faith, why are you so afraid? In the Greek, that phrase is oligopistoi. Sound familiar? We learned it back in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, he said that to his disciples when he was talking about worry. Oligopistoi, you of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Well, uh, the answer, Jesus, is because there's this great big storm. We can feel the wind and the waves. Now they're right to turn to Jesus. Right? They had a little faith because they didn't just despair. They turned to the one they should turn to, directed at the right person. But Jesus thinks they should have known by now that they wouldn't drown in any boat that he was in. That's not how Jesus is going to die. Don't you know who's in your boat? I don't think they did. They hadn't got it yet. When the the wind and the waves quiet down, they just stood there gaping at Jesus. Their mouths were like... Verse 27. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Don't miss that. And, and, And don't make it all symbolical. This is not just about the storms in your life. I know we were just thinking about a shelter in the time of storm, but these were not like the storms of your life. This was a storm, right? 
This was sheets of water and wind and waves coming into the boat for real. It's history. And Jesus actually talked to this storm and it had to obey Him. I I read a commentator yesterday in my study that said, notice he doesn't pray that the Lord would take away the storm. He just speaks to the storm like an owner to its dog. And like the dog, when he says, sit, and it sits, he said to storms, sit. And that's what happened to the storm. Here's the question. Who does that? You ever done that? Walk out, the storm is just raging, and you're like, stop. And it stopped? Never happened to me. I think I remember a Charlie Brown uh, uh, cartoon where, where it's Charlie Brown or Linus or one of them does that and the storm just stops and he's, he's like, what in the world? It, it doesn't happen. That does not happen. Who can do that? Only one person in all the universe can do that. God. Only the creator of the wind and the waves can do that. Listen to Psalm 89. Verses 8 and 9. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? Answer, nobody. You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Who does that? Who alone is like that? Only God. Do you believe that Jesus is God? I'm not saying, do you believe that there is a God? I'm saying, do you believe that Jesus is God? Following Jesus, we need to follow Jesus because there is no one more important. He's God. Following Jesus means putting your faith and trust in Him. Not just in some vague creator God out there, but in the God-man Jesus Christ. Following Jesus is believing that that Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, believing that the wind and the waves obey Him. That He's not just a great teacher. Now, He is a great teacher. On Back to School Sunday, we can safely say there never was and never will be a greater teacher than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we just studied one of His greatest teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. But He's not just a great teacher. He taught with a greater authority than anyone ever before him. And his authority is not just over words and concepts and ideas and truth. It's over matter and energy. It's over creation itself. What Lena was praying about in her prayer. When you study science, you're studying something that Jesus is the master of. And that should cause us to worship him in reverence and awe. That's why we're here today, because we worship Jesus. He is worthy of our worship, and there is no one more important. One more story. And this one is a weird one. They get to the other side of the lake, and they meet up with these two demon-possessed men. Look at verse 28. When he arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. 
Matthew is the only gospel writer that tells us that there were two of them. Probably one of them was more violent and scary, and so he got all the attention from Mark and Luke. But Matthew tells us that there were actually two. And nobody could pass that way because these two guys were possessed by evil spirits, unclean spirits, living among the dead in the tombs. That's very unclean. And very, very powerful. Nobody would go that way because watch out for those guys. You don't want to get near them. They are bad news. They are crazy. They are scary. They are violent. They are powerful. But not too powerful for Jesus. Look at verse 29. The demons speak. What do you want with us, Son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Notice there the answer to the question from verse 27, a couple verses earlier. The demons knew the answer. The men were asking, what kind of man is this? And the demons say, well, that man, he's the Son of God. But they do have a question for Jesus. Are you here to torture us before Judgment Day? One of the commentators I read this week says, yes. That's why he's there. He's there to give them a little taste of their own medicine and to give them a little taste of the judgment to come. A little realized eschatology. That's his prerogative. Verse 30. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. Pigs, uh, clean or unclean? Pretty unclean, right? Here they are near these Jews in, the, in, the, in Galilee. So you've got unclean spirits near dead people, so they're unclean. These people are unclean, and now we've got these unclean pigs. Right? Everything about the story shouts unclean. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of the pigs. I don't know why, but it's okay with Jesus. Verse 32, he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Yes, the same lake that the disciples just thought they were going to drown in. It's now full of deviled ham. Sorry, not sorry. This is a strange story. It teaches us that people are more important than animals. He teaches us that there is an appointed time for demons to be punished. And that Jesus has the prerogative to do it when he wants. It teaches us that demons know that Jesus is the Son of God. All important lessons. But I think most importantly, it teaches us that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus has authority and power, not just over the wind and the waves, but over the unseen spirits that inhabit the heavenly realms. Even the unclean, impure, evil, demonic spirits are subject to Jesus. What does Jesus say in this story? What does Jesus make a big speech in this story? What's he say? One word. Go. Just like in verse 26, he stands up and he rebukes the storm. And the storm goes, oops, sorry. And gets all quiet. He just says one word to these demons. 
The other Gospels tell us that there are a legion of demons and there's 2,000 pigs. And he says one word and it's all over. There is no one more powerful than Jesus. There is no one more important in the whole world than Jesus. And he's not saying go to you. What is he saying to you? Follow me. Here's the scary thing, though. Not everybody does. Look at verse 33. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they fell at his feet and worshipped him and became his followers forever. Is that what happened? They pleaded with him to leave their region. Here was their message to Jesus. Will you please go away? That's what they said to Jesus. It doesn't say why. Perhaps they were scared of him. You should be. They, they were scared of these demon-possessed guys. They wouldn't go anywhere near there. And then this guy says one word and all pig hell breaks loose. Imagine the squealing, violent, scary sight that was when those pigs went down and drowned themselves. But I doubt they asked him to leave because they were scared. I think they were mad. I think they just lost what was most important to them. They're pigs. Their money. That was their bank account that just plunged into the lake. Jesus just pressed delete on all of their accounts. And he says, and they say, will you please just go away? I think their story is in here as a cautionary tale for you and me. Because they encountered Jesus, the real, true Jesus of history, and decided not to follow him. Their song was, we have decided to not follow Jesus. Please turn back. Please turn back. They had decided there was something more important than Jesus. Today, Jesus is inviting us to follow him. But to do that, we have to count the cost. We have to ask ourselves what we are willing to give up. You see, salvation is absolutely free. But it's not easy. Salvation is by grace, through faith, and not by our good works. But Jesus saves us to do those good works. And he calls us to follow him no matter the cost. Jesus is more important than our comfort, than our family, than our money. There is nothing on earth and no one in the universe more important than Jesus. And if we have him, then we have everything.